Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're in Acts chapter 24. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 24. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Father, we thank you for the morning. Uh, We thank you for the privilege we have to have so much. As we see billions of people literally in need because of this global shutdown. We have made the poor poorer. We have made the needy more needful. It's a disgrace. So Father, we thank you and praise you and ask that you would save people. If that's what it takes to bring people to their knees to look up, then so be it. But Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in these various countries, in these various areas. Give them tremendous boldness to share the gospel to a hopeless world. There is no hope in our politicians. There's no hope in our governments. They're man-made. Our hope is in you and you alone. So Father, help us to remember that we're ambassadors for Christ. We're not ambassadors for the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, for the Constitution, for our free will. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are slaves. We are bondservants of the Most High God. Nothing is ours. You've given it to us to loan us, to loan to us, to take care of it until you take it away when we leave this earth. So Father, help us to just be good stewards of what you give to us temporarily. And that would be good stewards of our testimony to those around us this week. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. As we open your word, Lord, it's pertinent, it's relevant. I pray for young people that they would see how relevant the word of God is. That's so applicable. It's life transforming. And Father, for us older saints that have maybe been in the word for 20, 30, 40 years. And maybe we've put it in cruise. Maybe we've put it in neutral. Maybe we're just here out of religious obligation. We didn't used to go out of religious obligation. We went out of an, a zeal and excitement. But now it's just what we do on Sunday morning. Father, change our hearts. It's not what we do on Sunday morning. Our lives are to be 24-7 worship. Through praise, through our finances, through the word, through fellowshipping, through ministering to the unbeliever that they would see that you have not changed. The world is going to change, but you have not. You still love the whole world. And your son died for the whole world. Use us this week and use us this morning. I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're new or visiting, we find Paul is being held as a prisoner of Rome in Caesarea. At least that's what Rome thinks. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ which at the time was a beautiful Mediterranean seaport. We visit it every time we go to Israel. We're planning on going in April of 22. If that plays out, we'll see what happens. He was falsely accused by the Sanhedrin for being a plague by spreading hate among the Jewish people. 
causing uprisings, profaning the temple area, and being a Christian. Being a Christian. You see, Paul gave his simple defense, which led us to verse 22. So let's go back to verse 22. We'll pick it up there, and then we'll get into our text this morning in verse 24. But when Felix heard these things, so when he heard the accusations, and then he also heard Paul uh, break down those accusations, having more accurate knowledge of the way or of Christianity, so we see here that Felix had an understanding, a mental understanding of Christianity, and maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you have a mental understanding of Christianity, but maybe it hasn't sunk down to your heart, or maybe you're saved. Maybe you're saved, but every day and every week and and throughout the month, things are not sinking down. Ask yourself a simple question. Am I just in a holding pattern in my Christian faith? Have I reached a certain maturity and I'm just in a holding pattern and I'm fine with that? I'm content with that? I'm not doing anything. I'm not reading every day. I'm not having a private devotional. I'm not praying. I'm not seeking how God will want to use me this day or use me in my workplace or use me in my family. Have you arrived at that place where you're just, yeah, I'm fine. That's not a good place to be at for me as your pastor, nor for you, because you have a responsibility when you leave this place. According to Ephesians, I build you up for the work of the ministry that takes place out those doors. So if you're cruising, if you put it in cruise control or you're just kind of like, yeah, I got the head knowledge, that's good enough for me. It's not good enough for God. It's not good enough for God. He adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time for you, when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. So in 24, we're introduced to Drusilla. Interesting. Drusilla was supposedly, according to history, a woman of great beauty who had no problem with changing husbands. She was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I. So here's some history. But what I want to show in this is God's mercy. God's mercy. This is what we want to look at this as you hear me state these things. So she was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I, who had the apostle James killed in Acts 12, 1 through 2. This would have made her the great-granddaughter of Herod the Great, who after the wise men obeyed God and disobeyed him, 
had all the Jewish male babies under two years of age killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. That was because of the wise men's proclamation of a newborn king found in Matthew 2, 1 through 17. But wait, that's not all. Her great uncle was Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist beheaded and who also judged Jesus prior to his crucifixion. So now this woman who is a Jew and who has a tremendous history about this man named Jesus enters the court in which Paul had the opportunity to witness to her as well. That's called God's mercy. No one will ever be able to have an excuse and say, well, nobody ever told me that God loved me. Nobody ever told me that Jesus died for me. No, you'll never have that excuse. If you're here this morning, you just heard it. You just heard it. God loves you. Jesus died for you. Felix wanted to hear more about this faith that Paul preached. So Paul has a private audience with Felix and Drusilla and shares with them some foundational truths of Christianity. So God loves you. Jesus died for you. Now here's some foundational truths about our faith. Not our religion, but about our faith. Now, as Paul reasoned about righteousness, three things here we're going to look at in verse 25. Righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Paul reasoned. That means to say thoroughly, to say thoroughly. You see, on a Sunday morning, I try to reason with you all by saying thoroughly what the Word of God says. I obviously can't do that in 45 minutes. We'd be here for days. So we have to do Reader Digest. But as you share with someone the gospel, try to say it thoroughly and concise. Because you might only have two minutes. And I say this on a regular basis. You should have a testimony that you know because I know you have a testimony, but you should know that testimony and be able to share that testimony in two minutes or less. Five seconds of darkness, which would leave what? 115 seconds of light. They know the darkness. They don't need to know two minutes of darkness. They need to know what's different about you. What's changed in your life? So who else would be better to give this perspective than Paul? Paul grew up being a righteous in his own mind. Remember, he was Saul. He was made righteous because he supposedly fulfilled the requirements of the law. You see, as a good Catholic, you, ref- you, you fulfill the requirements of the Catholic Church. And that makes you a good Catholic, a good Muslim, a good Mormon. Whatever it is about religion, you fulfill the demands of the church and that makes you a good religious person. But that doesn't make you saved. Only having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ makes you saved. And that's what makes you a good person because the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. But Paul received the Holy Spirit by acknowledging that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. He was reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 6. But we all, who would this be? This would be every single one of us in this room. And as we approach 8 billion people, This includes every single person of those 8 billion people. No matter if you're a monk, a priest, a pope, a pastor, doesn't matter. If you're trying to get to heaven by your own good works, 
is I'm sharing with this with you. You, most of you here, receive, and know Jesus as your Savior, but there might be one person that doesn't. But what I'm sharing with you is information that you can go out and share with somebody else because as you talk to them, they're going to say, well, I'm not a bad person. I haven't killed anybody. Oh, so that makes you a good person. Well, yes, I'm a good person. So you have to be able to answer these people. But we all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. The best person on the earth today, just whatever name pops into your mind of a person that really does good things, but they don't have Jesus as their savior, filthy rags in the sight of God. We might go, oh, that's really good what they're doing. Heaven's concern, filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Then the writings of the prophets of the Old Testament made perfect sense in the mind of Paul. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, listen to what Paul writes. For he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin. You see, Jesus was spotless. He was the sinless lamb of God. He had not sinned once. In order to get to heaven, you cannot have sinned once. Not one time. Now you all did that when you were two or three. You knowingly did it. Did you just push that child? No. Okay, you're a liar. You just sinned once. Then they say, did you just take that toy from that child? No. Now you've sinned twice. You're a thief and a liar. And you're a bully. So three times you've sinned. So you've all sinned. So you see, all of us fall short of the glory of God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. All of our sins. All of our sins, the sins of 8 billion people were placed on Jesus. That we, remember who's writing this, guys. That righteous man, Saul, who was perfect in his eyes according to the law. He was the best Catholic. He was the best Muslim. He was the best Mormon. He was the best Jehovah Witness. Just to bring it into our culture. Alive at the time, I was the best until... He realized he was a sinner in need of a savior. That we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus, in him. That's what makes us right with God. Not us reading our Bible makes us righteous. Not our prayer makes us righteous. Not our whatever you want to put in makes us righteous. Jesus makes us right with God. And all those other things help keep us right with God. Hopefully that makes sense. Otherwise, we become self-righteous. And that's pride. That's not healthy. Matter of fact, that is sin. Paul, prior to accepting Jesus, didn't understand true righteousness, nor did Felix and Drusilla, nor will anyone else for that matter apart from Christ. True righteousness or being right with God is found only through a personal relationship with Jesus. He went on, to speak of them about temperance. He reasoned about righteousness and self-control. Self-control, which is the word temperance in the King James. Now, as you look up that word, you can do this. I'm not a Greek scholar. Just blueletterbible.com or books, whatever you want to use. Each word, Strong's, uh, a gentleman with last name was Strong's, created a book. He went through the Hebrew, went through the Greek. He gave every word. Not and and is, but every word, a number, and he defined what that word is. He gave it a root meaning. And so the root meaning of this word right here, self-control or temperance, 
is only found in three places in the New Testament. And that's why you want to have that little book. It's called a concordance. It's very helpful. It can help you explain a little bit better or get a clear picture in your mind of what is being emphasized. So the emphasis here of self-control, it's used in only three places in the whole New Testament. This is one place. Very, very important. This was obviously missing in the lives of these two people, but is one of the fruits, it is one of the fruits of a believer who is filled, listen to what I'm saying here, because you might say, well, I lack self-control. And you may have sat under a pastor or heard somebody teach, don't ever pray for self-control. You know, they make a joke of it because, boy, God is going to push your buttons. Nonsense. You want to pray for self-control. How do you get more self-control? By yourself being self-control? No, it's called temperance by the Holy Spirit filling you and giving you Christ control. Christ control, allowing Christ to control you. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, for the fruit of the Spirit or Holy Spirit is love, then joy, peace, long-suffering. Love is the main source. All these others are byproducts of love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the second reference here. This is the second reference. So the first reference is in Acts. Here's the second reference, Galatians, self-control. How do we gain self-control? By allowing the Holy Spirit, asking for more of the Holy Spirit, that I might have Christ control. Allowing Christ to rule and reign over my life instead of myself. Now let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll see the third place where self-control or temperance is used. And again, so important as the disciples, as the word of God hammers home this principle of the Holy Spirit filling your life. You will not be able to have self-control apart from the Holy Spirit. True self-control. You might think, well, no, I'm pretty good by myself. Okay. Careful that you don't think you're standing and God causes you to bow the knee. 2 Peter 1.4 says, By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Notice that. Not that we're going to become God. We will never become God or little gods. It's never insinuated in the scriptures. But since the Holy Spirit dwells within me, who dwells within me? God. And Jesus said, follow me. So I want to be more like God. I will never become a God, but I want to become more like God. I want to become more like Jesus. Well, how do I do that? By surrendering my life. Father, your will be done, my my will be done. By taking on, freely, taking on the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Are we seeing this today at all in our society? Now, lust is is normally associated with sex. But lust is defined as that which, a desire for that which is forbidden. So is power a lust? Can people lust after power? Absolutely. Is it happening in our culture today where self-control is out the window and I'm going to force you to believe what I believe and if you don't believe what I believe, I will use social media 
to intimidate you and get you to believe what I believe, even though you don't believe it. That's our environment today. It's happening in all levels, from junior high all the way up to the president. Although most people will say to junior hires or children in elementary, their own children, hey, bullying is not acceptable. We don't allow bullying. But then those same adults will turn around and bully somebody on social media or bully someone to their face through fear and intimidation. If you don't do it my way, you're going to pay the cost. Your job's at stake. That's reality. So guys, we have to take on the divine nature so that we, we've escaped that, that mentality. Notice this, having escaped the corruption, that's corrupt, intimidating people into believing something. That is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue. Remember what I mentioned earlier on? Remember the question I asked you? Are you just in neutral? Are you just cruising? Would you like me to do that as your pastor? Just put it in neutral and cruise? Not do my devotions? Not visit people? Could care less about the gospel, sharing the gospel? Would you like me to do that? Would you want to proclaim to your friends, boy, my pastor does nothing all week long. I just love my pastor. Doesn't read his Bible, doesn't study, doesn't do anything. How about your pastor? Your pastor more diligent than that? You wouldn't do that, would you? You wouldn't come to a church like that, would you? So if you expect it of your pastor then I don't see anything wrong with your pastor expecting it of you. I think that's quite fair. So I expect it of you. Not for me. For you. So you can be used of God. Because what does the scripture say? Not Pastor Jim. What does the scripture say? Giving all diligence. We're diligent in our work. We're diligent with our hobby. We're diligent maybe with whatever it might be we want to say we're diligent in, but are we diligent in the word of God? Well, that's down the road, and if I have time, yeah, then I will be. No, no, we don't have time for that these days. Why? If we give diligence, we're going to do what? We're going to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge what? Temperance, self-control, via the Holy Spirit. Remember? Partakers of the divine nature, not by myself. That's the Holy Spirit working through me. If you have an anger issue, like I used to have, you get over that, through submitting that to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will work it out of your life. Whatever issue you might have, especially self-control, if you submit it to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you strength and will work it out of your life. Totally? No, not till the day you die. When you take your last breath, then it'll be over. We all struggle with this. To self-control, perseverance, and we need that these days, don't we? To persevere in the faith. To perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, as I read this, I want to share with you, things are changing rapidly, and it was announced yesterday that Arizona might go on a three-week lockdown, a three-week lockdown. As far as church, we're not locking down. We're going to continue to press on because we need each other. We need each other. Now, I don't say this boastfully. I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm not saying it pridefully. None of that nonsense because as soon as somebody hears that, they're going to go, oh, you don't respect people. Oh, you don't love people. Get out of here. That's guilt. That's using guilt. That's using manipulation. No, I believe in science. 
and the science is not there. The media is causing fear and panic, even amongst our youth. An article this morning that I read, this morning, guys, this is such a sad statement. There's been more suicides in Japan in the month of October than all the COVID deaths since the first of the year. In one month in Japan, which has a high suicide rate anyways because it's based a lot on pride. If you can't provide for your family, that is a tremendous insult and you will take your life, unfortunately. They need to debug that program. But it's also happening here in America. But in Japan, one month, the month of October, due to this whole shutdown that is supposedly going to kill millions and millions and millions which it is not. Yes, it has killed many. I don't take one thing away from anyone who's died. It's grieving. It's sad. So don't even go there with me. But let's stay in reality. Google how many people have died of influenza this season so far and see what you find. See what you find. Thirty to 60,000 people every year die of influenza. Tell me the number that you find. You're going to be very, very surprised. Guys, we need to perseverance and we need to show kindness. And to notice in verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness, church is essential. Now wash your hands, social distance if you want to wear a mask, no issues. It's not faith issue. If you want to stay home and watch that, if you're compromised, I looked at the stats again this morning. If you're over 65 and compromised, you should stay at home. That would be wisdom, but if you're coming, that's fine with me. It's your life. Praise God. Doesn't make you better than the people that are not coming. Don't, don't get that mindset because it doesn't. That's your free will. It's your decision. It's your choice. But we have to come together to do what? Brotherly kindness, love. This is where we find the love of God so that we go out and share the love of God for the rest of the week. That's why you should come out to men's Bible studies and Wednesday night studies and women's Bible studies and home fellowship and marriage and young adults, whatever it might be. Keep getting your tank refilled with the love of God by seeing each other so that we can go out into a world that is so fearful. For if these things are yours, notice verse 8. For if these things are yours, first and foremost, look at that list. Are those things yours? Are you exemplifying those things? That's another question just for you. Nobody else. Don't look at anybody else. Wives, don't, don't elbow your husbands. Are those things yours? Just look at the scriptures. For if these things are yours and abound. Notice that there. Not just, oh yeah, I got them. I I think somewhere I got them. Let me look in the closet real quick. I I know they're here somewhere. No, 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 no. And abound. In other words, you should have them today. You should be using them today. You should be exemplifying them today. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, I'm going to fail. Yes, yes, yes. But get back up. Apologize. Ask for forgiveness. Let's move on. That's abounding. Being humble enough to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness, let's get going. Notice what happens. Here's the promise. Notice the guaranteed promise. You will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never, you, you won't be saying, I wonder what God's doing. God, why, why are you doing this to me, God? You're not going to do that. You're going to say, God, you got a plan. I don't like it. I don't appreciate what I'm going through, but I know you got a plan. You'll get through those emotions much more quickly 
And you're going you're to get back into the focus. No, because God, I know you've, you've done this work in me and you're going to keep doing it. So lastly, as we look back in Acts 24, verse 25, lastly, Paul spoke to them of judgment. And I know people, especially many pastors nowadays, don't speak of judgment. Why? Because they're concerned about numbers, which I don't know why they're concerned about numbers. Nobody's showing up anyways. They can't have them in their buildings. So I don't know why they're still concerned about numbers. But, you know, they're still concerned about numbers. You see, this is the key foundational truth within Christianity because each person, this is what we need to share. Each person will be judged on the face of this earth, will someday stand before Jesus to be judged. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, there is no second chance at this. You get one shot. But after this, the judgment. We will either stand before Jesus to be judged at the Bema seat or before him at the great white throne judgment seat. One is to be welcomed into heaven, has nothing to do with salvation. One is to be welcomed into heaven and receive the rewards that have been stored up from earthly service. And the other is to be banished from heaven and receive the judgment of eternal damnation. God sends no one to hell. Hell is created for his demons according to the word of God, fallen angels. We stiff-arm God, and we say, I'll go to hell on my own. I don't need your help. God sends no one to hell. You see, these things obviously caused a serious trembling in the life of Felix. But here's the sad truth, but not enough to cause him to acknowledge the truth and accept repentance for forgiveness. You see, people don't want to hear about judgment. They want, they want to hear that they're good. I'm a good person. Who are you to judge me? Who made you God? Don't judge me unless you be judged. Just ask them when they say that. Where, where, where is that in the Bible? Show me the verse. Can you show me the verse? They won't know. They won't know. But they know that much of it. You see, Satan knows the word of God. He misquotes it, but he knows it. But not enough to cause him to acknowledge the truth and accept repentance for forgiveness. See, as we read the word of God on a regular basis, we're going to repent and seek forgiveness because we're going to have a healthy fear of God. We can see this happening even today within as well as without the church. People hear the truth, but they will often say, let's talk more about it later when it's more convenient. You see, that's what Felix is saying. The enemy would love for every sinner to think that there is a convenient time to lay aside sin and seek after God. There is never a convenient time because there is only one time, the presence. If there's anyone here today that is waiting for tomorrow to put off their sin, do not be deceived for you might not wake up to see tomorrow. Again, remember, 5,700 people died per day in 2017 according to the CDC statistics. 5,700 people per day in America died in 2017. Remember that number, 5,700. Not 57, not 570, 5,700 Americans were dying every day in 2017. Fear, fear, fear is taking place in our culture Repent, do not be deceived because you might not see tomorrow. Come under the saving mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father today and receive his forgiveness right here and right now. The longer you wait, this is what happens. 
The longer you wait, the more callous and hard your heart becomes towards the things of God. Seek him today while he may be found. You will never regret his forgiveness. In verse 26, Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often. Notice this relationship. One of the greatest preachers that ever lived, Felix, a great heathen, a great pagan, a great sinner, wants to hang out with him, wants to fellowship with him. But for what purposes? Well, it tells us. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him for the sake of money. You see, bottom line, Felix was seeking after personal gain. He had, he had the blessed opportunity to hear from one of the greatest preachers that had ever lived, to hear about the truth of the word, which would have granted him eternal salvation. Yet he missed that opportunity because of selfish greed. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. Let's look at Mark chapter 10. It's a very sad commentary about a person's life, but one that is still prevalent to this day. Selfish greed. Mark chapter 10. Jesus teaching his disciples. So the Holy Spirit teaching you and I this morning. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. God. Guys, our worst day in America today is better than every day in another country. We are spoiled. We are so blessed. And we, we often think of riches as, well, that's the millionaire. That's the 10, 10 millionaire. That's the, the billionaire. No, that's you and I in this room right now. You got a house. You got a roof. You got blankets. You got clothes. You got food. You got running water. You got a toilet. You are rich. You are rich. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, he wanted to clarify it, children, how hard it is for those who trust. That's the point. That's the point. You might be here this morning and you might be monetarily rich or physically rich, richer than anyone in this room. God's given you that for a purpose, not to hoard it, but to use it for his kingdom. That's according to the word of God, not according to a pastor trying to get your money because I don't know who gives and it doesn't matter to me. Just read your word. Your money is not for you to sit on. It's for you to use for the kingdom of God because you're only going to have it for so long. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So now for decades, if not millenniums, uh, people thought that Jesus was literally talking about a camel and that there was a certain gate that only a camel would fit through and that you had to take everything off the camel and then the camel on its knees would somehow work its way through that gate. No. Jesus is literally talking about grind up a camel, put it through the eye of a needle, and then put the camel back together again. Then you got, then, then it's going to be easy to get into heaven. In other words, it's impossible. You can't get to heaven apart from me. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. 
So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? Because Peter's wondering the same thing. He thought that he was going to sit on the right hand or the left hand. He thought he was going to be helping Jesus oversee all of Rome. I'm going to be rich. He had the same heart as the other people. But Jesus says, no, no, no. For my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Let's skip over those two words. We don't want to read that. And then the age to come, right? We don't want to read that part, right? What did your Bible say? With persecutions. Guys, I don't know if you've been reading the news. I read a little bit of it because I'll, I'll go back to my anger issues if I read too much. I just know that about myself, so I just read a little bit. But what our president-elect, if he gets into office, is already saying what he's going to do, you better be ready for persecution as a Christian. I've been saying it for the last two years. It's probably going to be going in one ear and out the other. Well, here we are. Here's reality. He's already stating what he's going to do, and he's coming after the church. He's coming after the church. This is very real. Persecutions, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Back in Acts chapter 24, but after two years, do you think Paul was complaining during these two years? Whining, griping, hey, I thought I was your kid. Was he blabbing it and grabbing it, confessing it, possessing it? Or was he ministering? He was ministering to Festus. Uh, to Felix, he was ministering to him. Instead of whining and complaining, and then when he came before Felix saying, you dirty, no good governor, what was he doing? Loving on him. Trying to get him to receive Jesus as his savior. For two years, Porcesus Festus succeeded Felix. And that's just uh, Festus the procurator. Procurator, procurator, or the governor of the area wanted to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Chapter 25. The first thing that Festus does coming into power is to travel down to Jerusalem. Since this was a province that was heavily populated by Jews, it would be a good idea to try to befriend those whom he would rule over. So in verse 1, 25, Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Let's make friends. Verse 2, then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. How long has it been that this high priest and the Sanhedrin is holding on to hatred for a man who's in prison? How long? Two years. Two years have gone by. And they still hate the guy. He's in prison. What, can, what damage can he do in prison? informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem. Why? While they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. Two years. This is why religion is so dangerous. Don't ever become religious. Two years have passed. We still want to kill that guy. Those people that took that, that vow, they've been eating and drinking the whole time now, or they would have died. But they're still available. We still want to kill them. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. 
And when he remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews, the religious Jews now, who had come down from Jerusalem, so part, those who were part of the Sanhedrin, probably not all of them, but those who were handpicked, who had come down from Jerusalem, stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Guys, this is so important as we move into these next four years that no one can prove that we're Christians who hate gays, that we're Christians who hate transgenders, that we're Christians who hate fill-in-the-blank, people that do drugs, Oregon. Uh, it's what now? A misdemeanor, so much cocaine, so much heroin. You can have a limited amount of drugs, but you can't have six people for Thanksgiving. But we're going to arrest you if you have over six people. Good is bad and bad is good. I mean, it's just backwards. This is the way it is. So for you and I, we want to make sure that no one can persecute us, that they can't prove it. I mean, let me rephrase that. Which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither, notice how he answers, neither against the law of the Jews, so against the law, the Torah, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, whom whom I'm under, Caesar, so he brings in the political aspect of it, have I offended in anything at all? And they couldn't prove it, so Paul was totally innocent. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, so Festus knew he was innocent, but what does he say? Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. You see, the plot in his life didn't work. Because Paul did what every Roman citizen had a privilege of doing in these verses. If a Roman citizen believed that they were not being treated fairly and properly, they could appeal to be judged by Caesar himself, which in this case would have, would have been Caesar Nero. Very interesting. Uh, verse 11, he talks about capital punishment. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death... I do not object to dying. So here we see in the word of God, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, fair judgment. That's what that means by eye for eye. Because we typically in our flesh go, oh, you slapped me? I'm going to slap you twice. No, 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 no. That's the whole idea between the eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing, in case you didn't know. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. You see, Paul had in his heart and mind that he was going to Rome. Now it's becoming clearer how he is going to get there. And with that thought in mind, it's important to notice that we do not find Paul arguing or complaining about his circumstances, even though he spent two years in prison. To most of us, that would be a waste of time. But Paul used that time to wait upon the Lord. And this is probably the hardest thing that we have as Christians to wait upon the Lord, especially during adverse circumstances. But Paul had a different outlook about this life. He is trusting that God is taking care of him. And guys, this is kind of a summation of what we're talking about this morning. Even with what we're going through right now, 
Can you say in your heart, I know I've asked you a lot of questions, I'm going to ask you another question. Can you say right now in your heart that you trust that God is taking care of you? Just, just between you and the Lord, can you, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, can you really honestly say to him, you're not going to say it to me or anybody else, just to him, I completely trust what you're doing in my life right now. I'm not asking if you like it, because you might not like it. I'm saying, do you trust him? That's the important part. That even included his time in prison. So for us as believers, as our testimony is going to come before a disbelieving world, we have to get ready for these things. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Let's wrap it up with Philippians as the music team comes up. Philippians 4, 4 through 13. These are very applicable scriptures for all of us. Paul wrote this during his first Roman imprisonment, which was uh, sometime between 60 and 63 AD. He wrote this. Philippians 4, many of these verses are going to be in your memory bank. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now he's been held in prison in Caesarea. Now he's in a Roman prison. And what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always? Come on, man. Paul, wake up. This is 2020. How can I rejoice through all of this? Guys, we're still blessed. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Your Lord is, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is general. Lord, bless the Sunday school. Supplication is very specific. Lord, bless the teacher of Johnny, because Johnny's a pistol. So you have general and you have specifics. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, notice that promise there in verse 7. That's a promise, guys. But what is our responsibility? To pray. To surrender and pray. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, meditate or think on these things. Now let's read on to verses you might not be familiar with. Verse 9, the things which you have learned and learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do and the peace of God will be with you. Oh, so we're, we're supposed to learn to go to prison. And still be close to God, because that's what Paul had learned. You see, we don't like any of that stuff. We just want to know all the positive things. No, no. Look, look at what Paul learned through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at your last care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need. So the Philippians wanted to, church of Philippi wanted to bless Paul. They didn't have an opportunity. Then they did. And so Paul is saying right there, thank you for that blessing. Whatever that was, thank you for that. But then he goes on to say, hopefully what you and I can say or arrive at one day. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Ooh. In whatever state? And that's not talking about New Mexico, California, Arizona, Nevada. That's not talking about that type of state. Mental state, mental state, mental state. I have learned that in whatever mental state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. 
Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. So he talks about those physical states. Both to abound and to suffer need. And then he goes on to this verse that you probably have memorized or you have a plaque in your house or in your workstation. But now you, now you have the background to it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can go to prison if that's where God wants me to go. I can do without toilet paper if that's what God wants me not to have. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are panicking over toilet paper? Don't raise your hand. And what else are we going to panic over? Don't panic, guys. Don't panic. You probably have enough in your house, and I have enough in my house to last a full month, and I could stand to lose 20 or 30 pounds. Wouldn't hurt me at all. I think most of us could do that. So don't get caught up in this nonsense. Fear, fear, fear. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Learn to be content. Do what you need to do. We voted, and I'm praying for those lawyers and those other people that are doing their things. I'm not opposed to that. It's part of our system. Go for it. Do whatever you got to do. That's not my role, so I'm not going to get hung up in that. My role is to be in the Word of God, to pastor you, to minister to people throughout the week, not to get caught up in all those conspiracies and all the other stuff going on. That's my role. What's your role? Stay in your role. Leave that other stuff to those people. Stay focused on Jesus. Because people around you need Jesus. They don't need an argument about Republican Democrat. They need Jesus. We are the light of the world. Show them Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you because you ultimately have a plan that is going to be fulfilled. Your word says that you raise up and your word says you bring down. That's kings as far as nations. So Father, we know you have a plan and so your will be done. Help us to labor to enter into your rest. We might not like it, but yet we do because we want your will to be done. That's, That's the best. What's there not to like about that? might cause us to suffer, might cause us to have persecution, it might cost us to be uncomfortable, but it's all temporary. 70, 80 years at best. And then we're going to see you face to face. We're going to see your son. We're going to see the Holy Spirit, the one who dwells within us and gives us the power to overcome these fleshly desires that we all desire to overcome. Well, I pray for us that we'd receive more of your Holy Spirit, even right now, even right now at this very second, that we would surrender and just say, God, give me more of your Holy Spirit. I cannot do this on my own. I need more of your Holy Spirit. I truly want to love I want to have peace. I desire self-control. All those fruits, Father, I know we all desire them. Help us to submit daily, hourly, moment by moment, and ask for more of your Holy Spirit, and you will succeed. You will accomplish. You will complete the work that you've begun in us because you are faithful. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's all stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Stay focused, guys. Stay focused. Wednesday night, come out Wednesday night. Uh, If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come forward. We want to pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior. God bless you guys. Have a great week. 
Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.